0: You are listening to the Cancer From A to Z podcast with Dr. Rosalind Morrell. Episode 19, Nutrition Therapy as Cancer Therapy with Melinda Penny Washington. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer From A to Z podcast, where we discuss the issues and topics related to a diagnosis of cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Rosalind Morrell.
1: These podcast episodes are intended for informational and educational purposes only and are not a substitute for medical treatment by a healthcare professional. They do not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. Please consult your doctor or other health professional with any questions you have regarding any medical conditions.
0: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today for this really informative episode. I may have mentioned in a previous episode that I recently signed up for a nutrition course for health professionals, and I absolutely loved it. But one course cannot obviously tell you everything about nutrition, but it really is true that what we eat matters so much to our health. So that is why I wanted to do this episode with Melinda Penny Washington. She is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and transformation coach, and her passion is to bring a mind shift in the understanding of health and wellness. She does this by creating an environment for people to experience holistic Healing. She specializes in diabetes and heart disease care and education, and her coaching model incorporates medical nutrition therapy and meditation techniques. She uses healing practices from cultures around the world that she has explored, and she does this through one on one coaching as well as with group classes. Melinda has supported hundreds of clients and patients in creating healthy outcomes. You will hear in today's episode about how she got started in the field of nutrition after being diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome. And after successfully managing IBS through lifestyle changes, she returned to school and studied to become a registered dietitian nutritionist. And she continued her healing journey through traveling and learning from various cultures around the world to heal the body. Through her studies, she discovered the importance of addressing the mind, body, and soul of the person through healthy practices, and a connection to one's culture. She's traveled the world, learning various ways to heal, and integrates these practices into the Western healing modality. She has a certificate in transformational leadership, using indigenous wisdom and guided meditation, and she's a passionate healer who sees the importance of cultivating an understanding of one's cultural lineage in supporting health and well-being. And everything that she talks about is so important for those that have been impacted by cancer. What we eat matters and our food can be part of strategies to help prevent cancer as well as help during cancer treatment. So let's get right into the interview. I'm very excited to have Melinda Penny Washington on the show. So hi, Melinda. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on the show because I took a nutrition course not that long ago. So I'm all about nutrition these days. So I'm so happy um, to have you here on the show. Welcome. Thank you.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I think I just want to start off with you telling us a little bit about you and how you became a registered dietitian, nutritionist, as well as a transformational coach.
1: Oh, thank you for um, your being curious. It was quite the journey. So, I was in sales. This is my second career, and I was in sales, doing what I thought was really well in my twenties. I'm in my forties right now, and I was making good money, starting to travel a little bit, thinking I was living the life, and all of a sudden. I couldn't use the bathroom, meaning that I couldn't literally poop. And sometimes it would be for like two weeks at a time. So, wow. yeah. And so, it, you know, that really does change one's lifestyle. I was scared to eat because I wasn't sure if I'd be able to pass it through. Started going to my doctor. And because I was so young, they weren't really alarmed. So they tried doing some of the simple things like, you know, using laxatives. And, and then we started seeing specialists when certain things didn't work. And so I spent some time with a gastroenterologist and they were you know they were doing tests to look for cancer and all these different gi issues these diseases that it could have possibly be was constantly being you know told like we're going to we're going to try to find these we're looking for diseases and so it was a tough 3 years a lot of stress not eating lost weight and at the end of this journey The clinical field said, you know, we've done all the tests we can do and we can't find anything, which is great. So we're going to give you this laxative and you just have to take this laxative rest your life. And I said, I don't know if I can live like that now. I grew up in an environment around a lot of first-generation immigrants from around the world. Because I, here in California, where I live, is a lot of farmland, and people come from various parts of the world to farm this land. And um, so I was so I grew up around the Filipino culture, um, Southeast Asian culture, Latin Mexican culture, um, Chinese culture, India from India. Um, Indian from India culture, and I noticed that their ways of healing when they were sick as kids looked different than what I was used to going to the Western-style medicine. And I started researching in my 20s. I went back to you know t- talk to some of my friends and their grandparents and started going to the specialists around me. So there was a Chinese medicine clinic. There was a friend of mine would speak to a what they call a curandera, and I might not be saying the name properly, but it's a, a healer in the Mexican tradition. I started looking at these resources, um, started following Ayurvedic medicine, which is the way to heal from India, and realized that there was a component that all of these had that the clinical field was not speaking on. And that was the mind, body, spirit component, mom, body, soul component. So these practices looked at me as a holistic person and asked some difficult questions that made me think about how other things besides food was contributing to my health.
0: Wow. Okay. Interesting.
1: Yes, that started the journey. And so then uh, once I changed my diet, that was primary, um, I saw big changes. And so I said, I want to share this knowledge with the world. So I went back to school at that point to be a dietitian. So I can I can work in hospitals to talk about the holistic practice that I missed when I was going through the clinical system before. Um, and interesting enough, I never was referred to a dietitian in my first round. I don't know why. Really? Yeah, I didn't even know there was such a thing until I learned about nutrition and went down that path. So I wanted to get back into the hospitals because I didn't have this experience and went back to school to become a registered dietitian. And by the grace of God, I landed my internship, my clinical rotation at Stanford Medical Center. And I wasn't, you know, I'm not the, I wasn't the, the one with the highest GPA, but I, I understood people, customer service, connection, and science. And I think that's why they accepted me into the program. And in that place, I was looking for holistic care and I couldn't find it. Excellent hospital, amazing experience. However, when I was asking about like, where's the spiritual component of healing? Where do we, where do we talk about stress management and how it relates to the body and healing? I didn't, I didn't hear a lot about that in the program from any other clinicians. Another thing at the time I was there, I didn't see a whole lot of diversity. Now Stanford is really big on diversity from my experience. However, my time there in the department I was in and going through these rotations, I didn't really get a chance to see a lot of representation of cultures that can add their healing viewpoint along with clinical. Without Along with the clinical model. And I know that's complicated in the Western, you know, in evidence-based medicine, but that was something that was like, hmm, I can't even really have a conversation like this with some people because I don't know if there's all different representations from around the world that would understand what I mean by mind-body healing based on the wisdom of their ancestors. So I did meet this person, one person that was teaching meditation. He was Mm -hmm. a dentist at Stanford. And, and don't get me wrong, there was a, there was an integrative wellness department and there was a massage therapist. There was an acupuncturist, but not what I was looking for was around rituals and practices holistically around ancestry, cultural ancestry. Okay. So I met this guy and he was a dentist and he said, I get it. I like to start with the mind and, you know, get people to kind of look at their conditionings. And then we could talk about health around, you know, conditions around health. And then that set me on a path to going. So I did the meditation and then decided to do more meditation and, and became a, after I graduated as a dietitian, I decided to become a, a, a guided meditation facilitator. So I met this amazing woman named Laura Hansen, who has a, a company here in, in, and in the Bay Area called Divine Spark. And she taught me guided meditation using ancient wisdom practices, um, similar to what you see in Eastern philosophies. And then I said, well, there's one more piece that I see that I'm not getting. And so I decided to sign up for this program through a company called Sacred Future that taught rituals and practices of indigenous people around the world. That's the first people of d- different cultures around the world that are holding these healing practices to this day that we've lost through the evolution of our lineage, Coming, especially coming to this brand new country that we call America. Brand
0: new country, mm-hmm.
1: right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so when i went through so what i went i spent 3 years learning about different practices um ancestral indigenous practices around health and wellness herbs uh singing dancing drumming connections to the earth um honoring our ancestors that passed on connecting with plants and understanding how they can be used as medicine you know with the right practitioner so i learned there was much more that was ancestral that Western medicine hadn't really explored evidence-wise. They didn't. There's not a lot of scientific research at the time. So I went a little deeper as I had to understand the healing practices specifically of my lineage. Now, I come from African lineage. I identify as African-American. Um, however, because my ancestors have been on this soil for more than 400 years, there's a blend of—there's so much different blends in me of culture. So there's Irish, Scottish— African of different parts of regions of Africa, West Africa, a little bit of East Africa, uh, Yucatan, so the native Americans of the um, of South America, native Americans of Mexico is also in my blood. I found this out through DNA testing. And I had to find, I had to research what these cultures did, what these first pe- cultures did, first people of that land did to heal. And so it just changed my whole perspective about how some of these practices that the indigenous did, how they showed up in my lineage today as an African-American woman. And I looked, I saw it in church. I saw the rituals in church. I saw the laying of hands and prayer Mm -hmm. in church. Right. So mm-hmm. I, so I came back into practice. I started ch- continuing to travel to Fiji and Tulum, Mexico, Haiti, Hawaii, sitting with indigenous people and and gathering their knowledge, and then trying to direct, trying to con- and integrate it into this evidence based medicine that I believe in and practice in the United States to help people heal, specifically through nutrition, because that's my that's my right. that's my training. That's what I'm. I'm expert in. So I stay in my lane. You know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I respect those fields, and I and I and I you know and I, I know that it's not what I do. Um, however, I do try to integrate all of it together and allow people to drive their own healing experience based on their lineage, and then also those that they want to work with in the clinical field because we do live in America, where we do practice clinical medicine.
0: Wow. That's an amazing background and story. That I, I did not expect. That so tell me what after you went through all of that, what happened with your own health?
1: That's a great question. I end up I end up being able to manage IBS, and I say manage because I was diagnosed with IBS. So I I'm, I say manage because the with IBS stress nutrition is a big factor, but so is stress. And what I learned about my lineage, and what I learned about my own medical conditioning, is that I was diagnosed with um, ADD at, like a year ago, and so I lived with this condition all my life. And the meditation practices and all the things that I learned to stay calm was, you know, kind of masking it. So going back to what I was what I was saying, I um, I learned how to use these ancient practices to treat a condition that I didn't even know I had, and the condition with, with that was ADD. The ADD was contributing to the stress. The stress was, was contributing right. to the IBS. So as I was learning meditation, as I was learning nutrition and what foods that you have to shift when you have episodes of IBS, as I was learning how to, how to find my purpose and calling, which is part of ancestral wisdom, what was my part in the community? How was I giving back? Reciprocity is a term that comes up in indigenous wisdom. How was I giving back? What was my purpose to society, to the greater good? When all those things are lined up, my IBS is good. When it's not, my body will tell me and then I have to go back to those practices. So that's how I healed myself.
0: So it was a lot of it had to do with really connecting to who you are and where you came from. Would you say that that's accurate?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, when, I, when, when I was able to do that, I was able to co-create a healthy lifestyle with a practitioner to help me use their expertise and knowledge so I can guide my own healthy lifestyle journey.
0: Mm.
1: I, I needed to participate in the healing practice. Be, I couldn't just let them tell me, what, tell me what to do. I had to be an active participant based on the knowledge of myself right D- does that make sense? Like, it does
0: it does yeah. did did a lot of things come up for you? I mean it to me it sounds like that would that in you embarked upon basically a very in-depth very spiritual uh, journey. so I can only imagine that there were some things from your past that came up that you had to acknowledge and maybe deal with and and work through and process.
1: Yes, oh gosh. Oh, my goodness. I'm like speechless just you saying that.
0: Yes. It's not
1: easy because we're dealing with ancestral trauma that that relates to stress. Mm. I'm dealing with... um, Diet culture. So my mom was my mom was a was a she was a you know full time working mom. She was going to school as well. My father was in the picture too, and he was working. And there were norms in our household that put a lot of a lot of pressure on the woman to do everything. So she was able to just I mean she cooked healthy meals, but there was a lot of convenient stuff too. And so you know and diets. There was a lot of diets. My mom was was on a lot of diets growing up. So that contributed to what I thought was supposed to be how I eat and live, like I'm responsible for, you know, all the things in the house and so I do things out of convenience. So I was eating processed foods. I was thinking that I had to eat cabbage, you know, whatever the diet was that I saw growing up, I had to eat that way. I Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to listen to my body. I didn't know how to listen to basic understandings and what I needed. And I didn't know what the right foods were to eat because there was so much, you know, canned food recipes in the era that I grew up. There's so much diets that were circulating throughout my house and our culture that guided my understanding of how to eat versus what my body was telling me. And the understanding of fruits and vegetables are the, the foundation, in my opinion, to good health.
0: Right. And yeah, I think that comes up for most people, because you're right. A lot of times our eating patterns are based on our family and, you know, and what they cooked for us when we were children. And, and it also has a lot to do with our lifestyle and our jobs and our stress level. And I think we oftentimes ignore what our body is trying to tell us and we're doing things out of convenience. And you, you're right. I mean, you know, if you're a single parent or you have, you know, a very, maybe a two parents in the household, and they're both working, it could be a number of things. And that can significantly impact how meals are prepared and, and things like that. So very relevant and very interesting that, that you bring that up. And so when you're working with your, with your client's what is one of the first things that you kind of, what do you start with? Because, I mean, this is, this is quite a bit and, and we oftentimes will forget that the mind is connected to the body, that the mind is connected to our gut, that the mind is connected to our immune system. So when you are meeting with a client for the first time, what is your, you know, how do you approach them from the, from the very beginning?
1: That's a great question. My philosophy may not be the same as many, but I just I just meet them where they are. So I request that they send me photos because that's the easiest way for most. Like a food journal, I request a food journal. But in 2022, I asked them to take pictures and send it through a text or you know through an app that's you know um, HIPAA compliant and all that good stuff. But in the beginning, if you know you, we don't really need the app, I just want to see pictures. So we get a chance to see. What is reality? Because eating, we eat every single day since we were born. We don't really think about it. It's mindless a lot of times. So we forget or we have a disconnect about what we're actually eating and what we think we're eating. So I just ask people just to send me a food diary through pictures. No judgment. Notice any emotions that come up. If you eat something that you considered quote unquote good or bad and just observe, let's just observe these first, this first week together, these first five days together about your routine and what foods are convenient and what food you go to on a daily basis to survive. Um, so we just take a, a, we just observe. And then the second thing we do is look at the lifestyle, the emotions around how we eat, and then look at the baseline of what we need to be healthy according to evidence-based medicine and make little, small, measurable, actionable changes to create a healthy lifestyle that works for you instead of giving them a menu or a diet that they have to follow. Does it did? um, So that's how I, that's how I approach it.
0: And how much do you find in terms of, you know, when you start talking about their lifestyle and what they have going on in their, in their lives, how much do you find that that really, obviously it has an impact like we just talked about, but do you find that that, requires a a lot of change for them as well in order to adhere to your recommendations. Do you feel that what, what, what I'm just curious in terms of, you know, when you start talking about what their maybe what their stress levels are, what their background is, you know, maybe they're living at home and their parent is still, maybe they're living with their parents and their parents are still cooking for them, or maybe they have a significant other who, you know, doesn't necessarily believe in, in, eating properly or they're they're okay eating, you know, bags of chips and pints of ice cream and things like that. So if you have someone who's coming to you and they are in that type of environment, how do you overcome that in a sense um, to get them to kind of, again, adhere to your recommendations?
1: Mm -hmm, That's that comes up. Often, and um, especially when I support people that are living with diabetes, because usually it's a lifestyle of the family and the culture that, you know, in their environment, in their environment, right. the culture of their environment. So the I, 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 first thing I, I talk about is compassion. So if one is able to have compassion for themselves and, and find out the reason why why they're choosing these foods, then they can have compassion for those around them and see why they, their loved ones or the, their environment is choosing the foods. So once they have compassion, then there's not a lot of, then that gives them, that empowers them to make changes on their own. So in the example you gave about somebody who basically doesn't have control over what they're eating, we walk through ways that allow them to have control and give them phrases to use that allows the person they're living with to continue to have, to make the choices on um, um, around what they're eating For them, but then allow the person that's trying to heal to say, however, it's affecting me, and I have to change my diet. And so, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to add vegetables to this spaghetti that you—not to say anything's wrong with spaghetti, but I'm just using it as an example. I'm going to add some salad, you know, to maybe a meal that's already prepared, or adding fruit to maybe a breakfast that doesn't, you know, doesn't meet those health goals that the person has, adding fruit to that so that they can feel like they're making choices for their health. And what I have found is when people add plants to their meals, then the cravings for the other things that aren't serving them usually subside. They may not go away completely, which is fine, but that fiber and those vitamins and minerals from plants does something to the body that makes change happen. It creates different desires in the body for different types of food. Um, so I, that's how I approach it. I empower them to first have compassion about the why so they can have compassion for others so they can have um, a healthy dialogue about what changes they need to make so that the other person doesn't feel threatened. And then they can just add healthy things to their diet. And a lot of times people around them will start to catch that and actually try what they're doing too.
0: Right. Yes, That that's definitely the... the... Added benefit, I would say. So, I want to go back to just just so how you know we all have a clear understanding because I, I'm I would say that I'm a little bit confused because I uh, I think when people reach out to nutritionists, they see again they see people maybe on the internet that say they're nutritionists or um, maybe they're coming across people who um, are registered dietitians. So, just to walk back a little bit, what's the difference between a nutritionist? and a registered dietitian. And I know now that I think um, with the governing board in terms of you know the registered dietitian that the new um, name is registered dietitian nutritionist. But I understand that registered dietitians are nutritionists but not all nutritionists are registered dietitians, correct?
1: That's correct. And that's like a big question. Um, So the difference is, is that nutritionist, basically the name nutritionist, the title isn't regulated. So someone can, you know, read a book. Um, and say that they're a nutritionist, and then because what that book changed their life, and so they feel like they want to share that with everybody. And a nutritionist also can go to school and get a bachelor's degree in nutrition and learn a depth of knowledge and become an expert in nutrition around that area. And so there's a hard; it's not, it's difficult to find out what the person's background is as claiming to be the nutritionist without finding you know actually reading and researching them.
0: Mm.
1: Now with registered dietitian. We have to go through what I feel is a rigorous process, and I'm glad I went through it. I respect the field, where registered dietitians are found in a lot of different um, organizations in our culture. So food service system management is what we have to learn because we're in schools, we're in hospitals, we're in prisons, we're in these big institutions. We have to learn about, since we're in hospitals, there's a lot of, there's microbiology, there's biochemistry, there's physiology. We have to understand how the food turns into our body and how that food creates a new body and treats disease. We're trying to treat disease using evidence-based medicine in the clinical system. We also have to learn about business practices because we're also, I just, my last position was in a tech field where I helped with chronic disease management through a phone, through an app. So we have to learn about computer science and about those systems um, we also work in public health, so you'll see us like I used to work um, at the Department of Education, teaching little preschoolers how to eat because they're used to eating in front of screens, and that causes all kind of health issues. So we work in in public schools, um, teaching little ones how to eat, or we work at we work with um, government billboards to, to talk about how to educate people at the masses. So like MyPlate.gov is a public service announcement that uses dietitians to get the word out about how to eat properly. So we are in a lot of different institutions for that reason we have to learn a lot of things about a lot of different things that serve the population and then we have to go through a internship in all those different areas which usually takes about 2 years and then we have to take a board exam and to be registered in that state. And so there's um there, I think it's just a rigorous process uh, to allow us to do more for the population.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's very involved, and I don't think that a lot of people know that, and and how much education is required, and how much edu- how much training is required, and and that you actually have to take an exam um, in order to um, actually say that you're a registered dietitian. So, and I. I th- I think it's great that you brought that up because I don't also, I I think, at least for me, I guess I'll have to speak for me. (laughs) But, (laughs) um, you know, not realizing that registered dietitians, of course, I know that they work in hospitals and things like that. But when you talk about some of the different areas, like with a a tech startup or, or a technology company that's maybe focused on helping people, like you said, with maybe diabetes or other chronic illnesses. Yeah, I guess you would also be involved there. I think that's, fascinating i think that's that's really really great so what would you say i mean with given all of your experience and the clients that you work with what's a like a typical maybe misconception or or if there's obviously there's probably many but what would you say is a typical misconception that people have about food and nutrition?
1: Mm, I would say the biggest misconception is that there is one diet that's the best.
0: Mm.
1: And there's always a diet out there. And some of them, I, I don't really have a strong opinion about diets because I understand that they work for some people. But really what it comes down to is that we, I believe, have to find out what works for us individually And if we don't have an understanding of what basic nutrition looks like, which indigenous people do, because it was just in the environment, but us as, you know, as, as it's eating a standard American diet in 2022, it's difficult to decipher what is okay to eat because of all the diet plans out there. So there is no one diet fits all. And also understanding the misconception is that first understanding that we are, advertised in this beautiful country. I love America. And we are very capitalistic. So another thing to think about is that we live in a culture um, that is constantly selling us uh, ideas of what we need to do to be better. So that's capitalism, um, you know, a slice of capitalism. And so we're being sold diets all the time. It's called diet culture, if you want to research it a little bit further. And so that's something that we are, we are relying on outside information to tell us what our body needs, so another misconception is that we have to follow a diet plan. It's important to understand the basis of what you need. And that's why I do love the the myplate.gov, that MyPlate picture. If you Google that, it's in schools, it's everywhere. But it talks about how at least half your, your plate needs to come from plants and then a, you know, a quarter of it from a grain. You don't have to eat grains, but if you do a quarter of it. Um, which is still a plant, right? So now we have three fourths of our plant from plants. I mean our plate from plants and then a quarter from protein. That's the basic diet if we had to use a, a baseline to go off of, but you can really make that your own. You can make that your own no matter where you are from around the world. The foundation is plants to our are what we eat. So If we can just look at that, we get a chance to create what works for us. What type of proteins? What types of fruits and vegetables do I like? What types of greens do I like? There's a lot to choose from. So the misconception is that there's one diet, like the intermittent fasting or the keto or
0: Uh, So, yeah, you mentioned about the, yeah, because a lot of people follow like the Mm -hmm. ketogenic or the Mediterranean, which, uh, you know, I think Mm -hmm. from based on my understanding, I think, and you can tell me how you feel about the Mediterranean uh, diet, but, you know, or, or, or something like the, you know, the blood type diet. I Mm -hmm. mean, yeah, that there's so, there's so much (laughs) out there and so much being sold to us and i think you bring up a really good point about myplate.gov and just i mean getting back to the basics right it doesn't matter whether you're type o blood type you know or anything like that you just there are there are things that your body needs you need you know certain things and and it doesn't have to be complicated and you don't have to necessarily you know cut out carbs and make carbs like five to 10% of your overall, you know, intake, you know, on a daily basis and just do all these sometimes I think crazy and drastic things that I think mm-hmm. do more mm-hmm. potentially can do more harm, right? For instance, with the with the ketogenic diet and, and, you know, running the risk of just some of the things that can happen with, you know, a, a, when you build up a bunch of ketones and things like that so um so i i think that's a really good point and i think that's a a fantastic uh resource for people to kind of go to and 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 look at because it, it it gets crazy it <laughs>
1: yeah yeah. And people end up just not eating sometimes. And then we developed this um which I had when I had IBS, I was scared to eat. And so then I had a I developed a disordered eating. Not a not a full blown eating disorder, but I looked I was my eating became disordered. So they call mm-hmm. it disordered eating. And I, I see that all the time when people are frozen with fear on what to eat. Especially if they're diagnosed with a disease. That's a whole other layer, you know?
0: Yeah. Yes. Speaking of, since, you know, and and that's a good segue into talking about cancer and uh, patients with cancer, because I think I know for sure that when patients come to me and see me, a good majority of them, not all of them, all of the patients, but a, a good majority of them will ask me about diet. What should they be eating uh, at this point? And and these are individuals maybe who have already had surgery, or maybe they already had chemotherapy, and they're and they're getting ready to start radiation, or or maybe they've um, they haven't started chemotherapy, and some people really do understand that, you know, your diet is is very important. And even after a diagnosis, so even after you've been diagnosed with cancer, it it doesn't mean that you should stop thinking about how to make the healthy changes that you need to make. And for some people, that diagnosis is very much a wake-up call. And you will Mm. find individuals who maybe were eating a lot of meat or eating a lot of sugar, now all of a sudden wanting to become vegans. And so in your practice, uh, have you come across and worked with uh, cancer patients or maybe their caregivers? Because I think they are so important uh, in terms of just the Everything And so when you have family members or friends who are caring for people who have been diagnosed with cancer, you know, especially maybe with people who are uh, the ones that are going through the treatment, they're too sick to cook for themselves and things like that. So, you know, that's where the caregivers become really important. W- what's been your experience in terms of working with individuals who um, have been touched by cancer?
1: Mm beautiful question. Um, the longest part of my internship was at the Stanford oncology center. And so I, I got a lot of baseline training there. And so, um, the message that we as dietitians, I was trained to talk about was, and that they were in, they're in treatment at the time. So, you know, sometimes there was intolerance of, depending on where the cancer was and where the, what type of treatment. We had to change the consistency of the food um, to help them. But like you said, if they're outside of treatment and they're trying to heal their body, the, all the data, in my understanding, goes back to the importance of all of the powerful phytochemicals that are designed to heal our body, that are found in fruits and plants, that are found in plants. So however people can get them, if they make fruits, vegetables, and healthy grains, a part, a foundation, and it doesn't have to be the grains either. I know some people are scared of the grains because because of, of the carbs, but there's carbs also in fruit and vegetables. So if they can make those plants a foundation of their diet, then it gives the body some resources, some powerful resources, not to not only build the immune system but also. Um, heal the body, the antioxidants, the um, and then begin to repair the structure of your body. Also, you need those vitamins and minerals to recreate and heal the body. Now, protein is important too. So, so if someone's vegan, the common thing that I see is that the B12 that's found um, in this culture from, from animal sources sometimes gets missed. However, if they decide not to eat protein from animals. However, there are so many fortified foods in our culture. So when you drink that almond milk instead of milk, when you eat that cashew cheese instead of dairy, um, when you eat the tofu that's supposed to be like, you know, meat, they're usually fortified with vitamins and minerals you can find in meat. Something to consider if someone's going to go down that route, you want to, I believe the less processed the food is, the better for you it is. So that means that if it, you if you can identify that it looks like it did when it came from the original source, if you could tell that potato looked like it did when it came out the ground when you got ready to eat it, the apple like you did when it came from the tree, it wasn't, you know, deep fried in an apple crisp, you know, right. <laughs> those are the healthiest. So the bottom line is I see, and I, so working with patients, I, you know, encourage them to find a way to enjoy those plants and uh, a healthy source of protein every day.
0: That's great. That's, that's what yeah, I Yeah, that's great. So basically what you're saying is that French fries, potatoes don't look like French fries when they come out. Of
1: the yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's too bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but I think that, that's a good way of, of thinking about it because I think, you know, a lot of people maybe have a hard time understanding, you know, well, is this a processed food or, you know, so kind of getting back to, you know, if, the, if that, or like you said, if the potato or what you're getting ready to ingest looks like how it would look if it came out of the ground, that's a good way to think about it. What is your take wh- or wh- what are your thoughts on sugar? Because that is something that I get asked about all the time. Because there's mm-hmm. there's information out on the internet about how uh, cancer is fed by sugar, and if you eat a lot of sugar, it's going to make your cancer grow. And you know, for the most part, that's not true. There have been some, you know, small studies looking at. Uh, adenocarcinoma versus uh, squamous cell uh, type cells, cancerous cells, in in their response to sugar, but nothing definitive that says you know oh well if, you know you eat a bunch of Häagen Dazs ice cream or you're you know ingesting a bunch of chocolate chip cookies and you have you know lung cancer or you've got you know breast cancer that all of a sudden now you're going to you know cause this cancer to grow and and spread. There's nothing out there like that. So, what are your thoughts on sugar? Because what I find a lot of times is that again. People will go to extremes. So maybe not necessarily, you know, well, I did have, I've had a few patients who, um, and they took it upon themselves to actually cut out as much sugar as they could. And along with that, you know, they lost a lot of weight and it, mm-hmm. and i and i tell you know my patients and and their caregivers you don't have to do that everything in moderation i'm a big you know proponent of everything in moderation and so if mm-hmm. you know you have a really serious sweet tooth yes you're going to have to cut back but if you're already not really eating that much sugar and you kind of pay attention to that you don't have mm-hmm. to go to that extreme where you are on a pretty much a zero sugar Diet, and and when I say zero sugar, I'm talking like they don't even want fruit because it Mm -hmm. has the natural Mm -hmm. sugar, and I just don't Mm -hmm. think that that is healthy. But since you are the expert in this area, I would love for you to just speak on on that.
1: Yes, thank you. That is a that is that I think across a lot of different diseases, especially diabetes, I hear that same thing where people just want to cut out all sugar, and what, so I explained things like this. Carbohydrates are the whole, is, is, are, is sugar is considered a carbohydrate. Um, now you can get carbohydrates or sugar from a candy bar or ice cream, or you can get it from plants like fruits and vegetables, you know, potatoes, um, strawberries. Mm-hmm. The st- potatoes and strawberries are healing. The Haagen-Dazs, I'm not going to call it unhealing, it's just the amount that we're, how many times we're including that type of sugar in our diet. Like you said, moderation. I, so I tell people if the consequences of cutting out a whole macronutrient called carbohydrates, which is sugar, cutting out that whole area of our diet leads to imbalances, we need sugar for energy. We need sugar for our, our brain loves to use sugar, carbohydrates for energy. So when you cut out that much of a, of a main component of what we need to live for our bodies to function, there's going to be some, some repercussions. So I encourage them to look at the evidence, like you said, people? Did, 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 did somebody? I've never seen somebody develop diabetes because they eat too much fruit. There are whole cultures that have lived for centuries on islands where their diet is mostly fruit. Or root vegetables, which are you know starchy, um, starchy carbohydrates. It's the other things that are contributing. So to look at the amount of processed carbohydrates, the high sugary foods that we're eating, looking out, looking at the reason why we're eating those foods. Because sometimes we mindlessly eat ice cream because we're so stressed, and, and carbohydrates do give us comfort. That is scientific. So looking at how much we're eating why and then allow ourselves moderation if it does serve something for you i think like 3 times a week my personal rule for my kids is 3 times a week we eat foods that are for fun and so not 3 not 3 days but 3 times mm-hmm. and so just being realistic about how much of what we're eating is contributing to what we think is the problem yes and cutting back to moderation Something else that I wanted to share with you around that is that it's really important to take a look at the evidence of what's going in our body. And so if we can just take a moment to food journal or take pictures and then come to our practitioner and say, this is what I'm eating. I'm scared of sugar, if that's the case. What sugars in this diet do you think is contributing to my to my situation? And then have that kind of conversations. When I was working, when I was interning at the Stanford Oncology Center, I met some of the most healthiest people in the world
0: mm-hmm.
1: that ate the perfect diet. And unfortunately, they went through this um they went through cancer. So it's not like, um, unfortunately, there's not a diet that's going to guarantee anything. Um, You know, you can drop, you can drop the risk, but that's something else I want to put out there. So sometimes we get caught up in blaming ourselves for getting a condition when, when some of the people that follow the perfect diet still end up with cancer. Right.
0: Right. You're right. That's exactly true. And I think again, that you, that's a great point to make because there's a lot of there's a lot of self-blame and you know what did i do you know i did this and this is why i have this and you know and and it's and it's very true you can find individuals who just if you take lung cancer for instance they never smoked <laughs> mm-hmm. never around any you know significant chemicals and never exposed to asbestos and and they still got lung cancer, you know, healthy people, people who exercised and ate well, and they still got lung cancer. So, Mm. so absolutely. um, That is so true. And so what has been, you know, I can say that it's difficult. Uh, I will I will definitely admit that it's def. it's difficult I think to make sure that, you know, your plate kind of follows what you mentioned in terms of myplate.gov where, you know, if you've got a quarter of the plate with protein and a quarter with greens and you've got, you know, the the plants and and uh, some fruit. It can be hard to do that, especially maybe if you're you have some things like you're traveling or for instance my family just got COVID. So I, I, I didn't get it and my son didn't get it, but my husband and my daughter did. So my, I left the, (laughs) I left the house and went to a hotel (laughs) with my son and we stayed in a hotel until my husband and my daughter came back COVID negative. And now maybe that was a little bit extreme because they were isolating, but I'm, I'm just that kind of person where I just, (laughs) I just need to be physically away. But and mm-hmm. my diet went down the tubes. I uh, I've never eaten so much McDonald's. I'm telling you, it was the, it, I I I will be honest <laughs> with you. And it I I stayed in a hotel and I just didn't you know I didn't want to spend a ton of money and and so I didn't stay in a five-star hotel. I stayed in a hotel that didn't have room service and I stayed in a hotel that didn't have a microwave either. So, you know, when I was trying to get to work and get my get my son to camp, it came down to we're gonna go through the drive-through at McDonald's, and we did that on, at, for several days. I've never had so much egg McMuffins and, and orange juice and hash browns in my life, and it was awful. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely awful. And I think after about five or six days, my stomach and, and my body let me know that this was not ideal. And it was, you know, again, I'm, I was in a situation where I couldn't, I couldn't cook. I couldn't get to a kitchen so it's it's it can be difficult to adhere to you know eating eating well and and making sure that you're getting all of that, especially if you've got things where you know a lot of people find that when they're traveling for work they have difficulty so what in your opinion, what's been successful what What do you find to be helpful um, for people to do? When maybe they are uh, in situations where they don't have full access to, you know, grocery stores and kitchens and can can stick to their healthy diets?
1: Mm, That's a great question. So I've worked with two extreme populations for a long time. I worked with federally funded health care center and women that people, but mostly women because it was with gestational diabetes that were going to federally health care funded health care center. So it means a population that's identified as low income and that live in food deserts. And then I've also worked with high performance athletes and, um, and high performance people like CEOs and business leaders that have access to all the things, but they're traveling. And so they don't have access to easy access to healthy food because the cultures are set up that way. So there's two approaches that I take. The first thing is if you do have if money is not a factor, if you have the means to get the food, it's more about your surroundings. That's the limiting factor. You know, the environment, you have a stove and all that kind of stuff. There's two things I tell them to do. I tell them to pull up an app like Yelp and look at the, the restaurants around them, look at the menu and plan ahead about what's available on that menu. Now, because I've worked with populations that live in food deserts, usually those populations have a fast food restaurant around them. So we walk through looking at what does a fast food restaurant offer that can that can support health? Because luckily, there there actually are some options out there. Now, what throws people off is that that salad may be twice as much as the burger. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's the option, right? Right. So that's the first thing. If there's, someone has the money, I, I encourage them to pull up the Yelp, pull up, use the internet, and look around to see what those restaurants offer that fit into your healthy living lifestyle. And then, you know, and then go from there. If the person doesn't have those means, then um, I was quarantined in New York for a week and I didn't have a refrigerator. I had a small, like, bar, mini bar refrigerator, but I didn't have anything to cook with. So what I did was I waited till late at night. And because it's a city, I walked to a grocery store in my neighborhood. And um, so some of my my clients, they had um, EBT. You know, they had the assistance from the government to buy food. And so vouchers. So you, you can go to your local WIC or, or grocery store, use your vouchers. And there are so many things you can buy that are um, shelf stable. So I bought a bunch of fruit or, you know, that that, that can last few, a few days without to be refrigerated. So if you're in a hotel room or if you are living on the, um, or if you are experiencing homelessness, which I had, uh, I, I um, helped the population that was dealing with homelessness. So if you don't have access to, modern tech you know, modern things like um a stove. Then you can you can get things like canned to canned meats. Mm -hmm. You can um you can get nuts. Nuts are great. You can get things like fruits and vegetables that if you eat in the next couple of days it'll be okay. And the, or you can also do things like dried meats, just those basic, basic staples that actually fit in that my plate model, or you can get a salad and eat it. You know, it's the people that were experiencing homelessness. I would say, you know, I would work at the food bank and say, okay, here are the things that you can take home and eat in the next two days. And then here are the dried nuts. You can eat those the next days. And then a canned tuna, you can open them eat that in a day. So it's all about strategy honestly, in both situations. The convenience is what we fall into because our time is so limited in this culture, is so limited in this culture. Right. And so we we have to look at taking the convenience out and planning ahead. And in both extreme situations, usually they're able to get by once they learn what they have access to in their environment and then stick to that regimen.
0: Great. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. That's a fantastic point because you're right. Time is is so... <laughs> It's very limited in our culture and it's very much about, you know, rush, 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 rush. Got to get here. Got to get there. You know, I'm running late. I'm running late. So developing a strategy and planning ahead. That's that's excellent advice. So I could talk to you for the next several hours, but (laughs) because I love this subject Um, and that's that's part of what prompted me to take a a course on nutrition. And of course, for somebody like me, just taking an eight week course is, it's just touching on the surface of what you know and what you've been doing for years but i know your time is limited so i want to ask just a few more questions what are some of the best resources that people can go to or use to help them in terms of their you know trying to get healthy in terms of their diet and and um, nutritional status Mm,
1: great question, and I'm enjoying my conversation too. I have a lot of respect for what you do. A lot of respect. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so the first thing I would say is I'll go big, and I'll and I'll then I'll go I'll go broad, and then individual. So the two sources that I often use because they're well vetted. That means that there's evidence base. It's 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 written in a way that. It can reach and apply to most lifestyles, most cultures. These two resources are myplate.gov and eatright.org. So as a dietitian, these are the two resources that I use to make sure when I get ready to say something, there's some evidence to back it up. And so if you're looking for information on how to get started and and questions you may have, those are two great spots, myplate.gov, eatright.org. The next thing I would say is You know, social media is powerful. However, there's so many choices and you're not quite sure who is the expert. So I would encourage you to follow professionals, maybe a registered dietitian or someone's a nutritionist. You can look at their background to see how much education they receive because there's other designations that are connected to nutritionists that have a lot of great science, but they're just not registered. So find somebody that you can relate to. And culture is a big deal. So if you can find somebody that can relate to your culture, and if you're one that is, you know, I hear a lot of people that say, why well, just consider myself American? And that's fine. An example of that is I consider myself American, then African-American. And then I grew up in a culture where I was exposed to delicious Mexican food, Filipino food, Indian food. And so that's part of my culture too. So if I, so I will follow dietitians that can show me different ways to eat those cultural, culturally rich, healthy foods in a way that it was as it originated, because as the cultures develop a recipe, for instance, like tacos. Okay, so in Mexican culture, tacos are very popular, but if you look at the evolution of the tacos that that were made from the first people of that land, the the maize that was com, you know chopped up and then you know ground and then combined with a little bit of lime and created, that's different than the taco you get at Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. So if you identify with a culture, going back to finding an expert that can help you go back to your roots, or you might even go back to your, in the Mexican culture, abuelita, you know, the grandmother, and ask her, when you were a little girl, grandma, how did you make the tortillas? Or if you're in the Indian culture, when you were a little girl, you know, grandmother, how did you prepare your foods? And you go back to that original way, because they didn't have the modern conveniences of, you know having meat available everywhere that meat was savored it was raised loved and then and then and then transitioned killed in a respectful way and then that meat had to last a long time through the village so it wasn't like we're eating meat all the time so looking at our lineage and then finding somebody out there that can relate to your lineage and help you understand how to translate what we're eating today if it's not working to you to what it would look like once upon a time when our ancestors started eating it. Our ancestors used it for nutrition and health. So social media will help you do that. I am a great resource for that because I love culture from around the world. I visit countries. I talk to the indigenous. I learn the basics. And then I incorporate it in my life because I grew up with that. And the third thing is to find support groups. I am working on a book with a woman that has survived cancer and on and off for a course of like seven to eight years, I believe. And she's also a licensed family therapist, marriage and family therapist. So she understands the the psychology part, you know, the stress part, the therapy part of it. And so she she's writing a book out to give people resources on where to start on their food journey because she felt like that was a really big part it was hard for her. She was scared. And so she so I she told me the the important thing to her was to have a peer navigator. Mm. So she's a peer navigator because I I haven't been through cancer. I haven't been through diabetes. So there's only so much I can empathize with. I'm here, I'm a support. I'm I'm all the things I can be. However, if I haven't had the disease, there's there's another level somebody else can go that I can't that has had the disease. Right. So look for people that are of like minds that are trying to live a healthy lifestyle that have been where you've been and use that community, which is an indigenous wisdom health practice. Community has to be part of your healing, according to indigenous wisdom, that is going to help you navigate this together so you all can can heal together and understand where each other is coming from. So those are my resources.
0: That's great. I think that is fantastic. And I think I know I learned a lot today with just based on what you just said and I and I think that's going to help a lot of people because I didn't think about that. And I'm sure maybe a lot of people haven't thought about you know finding someone who can relate to your lineage and you know going back and you know if you're if you have those individuals in your in your life who are still alive and and talking with them and asking them questions about how they prepared the food because you're absolutely right you know a, a taco that maybe your great grandmother or your grandmother would cook is certainly different than what you're going to get at Taco Bell absolutely and it was a different it was a different it's It's just it was a different time, and it was a different connection with food than what we get today and and especially when you're dealing with fast food and and things like that. So taking it back to your history, to your lineage, to your ancestors and looking at that, that's a that's I think that's a amazing and a, it's a great point, and a, a probably again, a lot of people haven't thought about that, but that could absolutely be very helpful. Well, Melinda, I mean, this has been wonderful. I've learned a lot. I know the listeners are going to learn a lot. And this has just been such, such good information. So I want you to tell us, how can people find you?
1: Thank you. Well, I do have a website and it is going to go right now. It just has my information. However, it's going to go live next week with uh, services I offer. So the website. Is Healthy Balance 3. So my company is called Healthy Balance 3, and the 3 stands for nutrition, mind, and soul health, holistic health. So healthybalance3.com, and there will be um, information on who I am and the way to contact me, and the more to come. The second way you can reach me is my Instagram account, which is healthybalance three underscore nutrition, become a nutritionist. I work with also two amazing therapists to create community around healing. And we have a company called Nourish Well, Nourish Wellness. So that is also on Instagram, Nourish Wellness. Um, There's two therapists that are trauma-informed, multicultural, very robust, um, gender positive um, clinicians and myself. And then also there is uh, a, the, if I may share the book I that I'm co-writing with Lori Burney, who's the uh, the medical, the licensed clinical therapist as well as a cancer survivor, about how to how to just one resource you can use to get through that time of having cancer. That will be highlighted on the Instagram accounts when it's ready.
0: Okay, well, great. Thank you so much, and I'll make sure that my team puts all of the resources that you mentioned in the show notes. So people then can refer to those and and click on those links. But again, thank you so much. I'm going to absolutely have you back on the show because there were some things that we didn't get a chance to really get into a lot of depth on, which I think will be um, important, but this has been fantastic. So thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to coming back and my passion is having all of us look into our ancestries because there's so much healing powers and understanding how our ancestors stayed healthy. Yes. Because otherwise, if they weren't healthy, we wouldn't be here, right? That's right. So, <laughs> so true. So let's find out that plan. You
0: know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So true. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for your time.
0: All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's interview with registered dietitian nutritionist Melinda Penny Washington. And if you want to check out her website, it's healthybalance3.com. That's www.healthybalance3.com. And you can find her on Instagram as well at healthybalance3 underscore nutrition or nourish underscore well underscore. Okay, so that will do it for me. And as I leave you on every episode, be well. Thank you for listening to the Cancer from A to Z podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you subscribed and left a review. And if you know anyone who could benefit from this information, please share the podcast with them. Until next time, I am your host, Dr. Rosalind Morrell.